This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are the Good Shepherd, and your sheep know your voice. And the changes and chances and the anxiety of this uncertain world, would you grant us the ability to hear your voice, that we may be grounded and secure, and that we might have life in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So every year, this Sunday in Eastertide is called Good Shepherd Sunday. And every year we have appointed to us one of Jesus' four sermonettes in John chapter 10. In each one of these speeches, Jesus describes himself in different ways as the good shepherd and his followers as the sheep. And we have a little trouble in our culture being referred to as sheep. Sheep is a word that has become synonymous with being gullible and stupid and easily manipulable. In the bizarre alternative reality, which is Twitter, the way you refer to people who are led along blindly and engage in mindless groupthink is sheeple. Not a compliment. Actually, I looked up the origins of this word this week, and it turns out it's been used derisively since the 1940s. In about 1945, it was coined by a journalist who was describing those people who were too trusting of their governments. And this etymology actually gives us a clue as to why we're hostile to being called sheep. Because even though secretly every one of us wants to be led, we want good leaders that we can trust, we need shepherds actually. Every one of us has seen example after example of untrustworthy leadership. In the past 75 years, there's not one institution in American society that has not been humiliated by the misdeeds always and relentlessly related to sex, money, and power of its leaders. And the church is, of course, no exception to this. The leaders of the church have time after time been exposed as profoundly callous to the concerns of congregations and as profoundly corrupt. And so many have been wounded by their shepherds. We don't want to be sheep because our shepherds have been thieves and brigands and con artists. And they've hurt us. They've betrayed our trust. Jesus says right here in verse 10, the thief comes only to destroy. And we've indeed been destroyed by many thieves. So we come to this passage and this Sunday every year in our church calendar in which we remember Christ, our good shepherd, both with a sense of longing for what we need and a healthy skepticism. And in this passage, Jesus tells us both that human beings are all sheep who are in need of a shepherd and that we ought to be careful who we entrust ourselves to as our shepherd. We need to scrutinize those whom we trust to be our shepherds because there are many, many false shepherds. And the false shepherd destroys, but the true shepherd gives life. And Christ's sheep are those who recognize his voice and who respond to him. And they recognize his voice because they have received life in his name. It's important for us to know, as a backdrop to this, that in Greek there are actually two words for life. To describe biological life, the continuation of existence itself, the Greeks used the word bios, the same word we get biology from. But they also used the word zoe to describe life in another sense, what we might call the fullness of life, a life of joy, 
a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment. In other words, the good life. That's why they respond. That's why the sheep respond to Jesus. Because in Jesus, they have Zoe. And they want more of it. And so what Christ is telling us here is that our ability to have Zoe, to have the good life, hinges upon whose voice we listen to. We want a good shepherd, not a thief or a con artist. So let's look at Jesus' claims here one, one by one. Jesus tells us that everyone is in fact a sheep. To be a sheep, first and foremost, is to be a communal animal. And human beings are by nature social animals. We need to be part of a group. We need to be part of a cause that is bigger than ourselves. We're not autonomous. This longing to participate in a true and good and beautiful story and to do something meaningful to move along the narrative arc of that story is basically hardwired into human consciousness. So back in the early aughts, uh, there was a movie called About a Boy that came out. Still in my judgments, uh, the highlight of Hugh Grant's acting career. At the beginning of this film, the camera opens onto the show. By the way, the camera work in this film, I just rewatched it last night with my wife, and the camera work is phenomenal. But the camera opens onto the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And, and Hugh Grant's character is watching that show. And the question is, who wrote the phrase, No Man is an Island? Grant's character shows immediately his lack of literary sensibility by getting the answer wrong. But then he goes on to observe that the phrase is a complete load of bollocks. In my opinion, all men are islands. And what's more, now's the time to be one. This is an island age. A hundred years ago, you had to depend on other people. No one had TV or CDs or DVDs or video or home espresso makers. Actually, they didn't have anything cool. Whereas now you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. That's more true now than it was when Grant uttered those words. But Grant's character is absolutely, painfully wrong. We are not island paradises. The evidence from this past generation is undeniable. <coughs> our attempts to be autonomous, to depend on no one but ourselves, to be our own masters, has resulted in a crisis of mental health and a crisis of loneliness that's unprecedented in history. Johann Hari, in his uh, important book, Lost Connections, says that loneliness hangs over our culture today like a thick smog. If we're more lonely and connected in the time of COVID, it's not because we were, we were connected before. It's actually just throwing into sharp relief what has been true for a long time. We desperately need to belong to one another, to be a social body with the internal cohesion and solidarity that comes from being committed to a noble cause. But to be a social body with that cohesion and that commitment means we also desperately need to be led. This is tough for us because, as the theologian Stanley Hauerwas has said, in America all hierarchical assumptions bear the burden of proof. We're very wary of submitting ourselves to anyone. And in part, that's because of our native individualism. But more importantly, it's because we have been so profoundly hurt by the improper and unjust exercise of authority in every sphere. Thank you. Jesus told his disciples that the Gentile rulers lord it over or domineer over those whom they rule. And in all of our institutions, we've experienced that Gentile rule. But the need for authority 
is inescapable. It is as hardwired into us as the need to be connected to others. Yves Simone, who's a philosopher who spent his life trying to understand how authority works, said that authority is at its heart the capacity which is inherent in an office to direct and to channel the energies of a social body toward the common good of that body. If you think about it for a second, you simply can't have a social body without submission to lawful authority. Because our individual energies need to be harnessed. They need to be directed to a vision that's greater than ourselves. Without this, we dissipate our energies. They come to nothing. We no longer function as a unified body in any meaningful respect. And then we give up. We become disillusioned. We go wandering off onto our own paths. This is exactly what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. When he looks at the crowds in Matthew's Gospel, he's moved with compassion for them because they're confused and helpless like, sh- like sheep without a shepherd. This is what it looks like to be a body without a head, to not be led, to not be directed. We need to be sheep who are led and directed. It's built into who we are. It's hardwired. To be a sheep also means to be a limited and vulnerable being. The word vulnerable comes from the Latin word vulnus, which means wound. We are not God. We are not gods. We're mortals. We are finite. And we have many weaknesses. We are very capable of being wounded. And we need to be protected. We need to be protected from the wolves and the thieves of this world. If this season, which my friends and I have started calling COVID tide, has shown us anything, it is that everything that seems solid about our circumstances can be taken away in an instant. We're vulnerable. Our culture's dreams of technological transcendence that we will somehow be able to escape our basic creaturely fragility are not going to be realized. We will not be free from danger until Jesus sets all things to rights in the new heavens and the new earth. We will not fear there because we will live under the authority of the good shepherd in a kingdom from which every enemy has been banished, including that final enemy, death. But until then, we are vulnerable. Now the early church understood these basic points and and it welcomed them. I always think it's important for us to look back at the early church, both for inspiration, but also for a kind of counterpoint to our own prejudices in the modern age. Now, the early church welcomed the idea that Jesus was the good shepherd, and it represented this idea in the art that it created. In the second and third centuries in Rome and in the surrounding areas, Christians buried their dead in underground cemeteries that were called catacombs. And many of these catacombs were filled with these gorgeous frescoes and mosaics depicting various biblical stories from Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the Annunciation. But no theme is depicted as consistently as Christ the Good Shepherd. Now here's an image from a fresco created in the 3rd century in a catacomb called the Catacombs of Priscilla. We can see Christ here in this image depicted as a humble shepherd leading his flock, which in this case is small, just three sheep. Now this is probably gesturing towards Christ saying in Matthew that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he will be with them. But the most important detail of this mosaic is the sheep that is placed over Jesus' shoulders. Jesus defends his sheep. Jesus goes after his sheep when they have strayed. 
and he finds them. Jesus gently carries them over his shoulders when they are wounded. And his sheep know his voice. They recognize him because they have received life in his name. And so they submit to being carried by him in their woundedness. And so the early church, and remember, this is the third century we're talking about here. The early church invites us to see ourselves as the one who is draped over Jesus' shoulders, submitting to his leadership and to his care, because we know that he is the only source of life. Now for just a moment, I want you to look at this image, and I want you to ask yourself, what would it be like to be that sheep, laid over the shepherd's shoulders, secure, Supported, protected. Take just a few seconds. I want to turn now to Christ's second point, which is that we need to scrutinize who we are trusting to be our shepherd. Now, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Only Christ, the God man, is worthy of our total and complete allegiance. But in the first part of this passage, Jesus is actually talking about those under-shepherds, as, the first, as Peter's first letter to us describes them, who are meant to introduce us to the good shepherd. He says that anyone who claims to be an under-shepherd, but who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit, or a con man. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So it's clear here that the gate is Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying is that anyone who claims to be an under-shepherd but fails to nourish the sheep with Christ himself is not a shepherd. That person is a liar and a con artist. They're what Dale Bruner calls other wares. They are people who come in the name of Jesus, but they claim to give life by offering something other than the way of Jesus as the way of life. Now, anyone who offers something other than Jesus as the way to good life, as as the way to Zoe, should not be followed. There is only life in the name of Jesus. All other paths are roads that do not lead to flourishing, but to ruin. The biblical scholar Edwin Hoskins writes it like this in his commentary on John's gospel. He says, Every claim in the past or in the present to give life except through Jesus is destructive of life. All who make that claim have been and are thieves and robbers, whom the true servants of God have never followed. But this passage is actually about a subset of those who try to offer Zoe in something else other than Jesus. It's a more subtle grouping. It's specifically about the would-be shepherds who come in the name of Jesus, but are not really about Jesus. By the way, the word pastor is taken from the Latin word, which means shepherd. And so the very office of pastor names us as under-shepherds meant to lead us to the great shepherd. Any pastor who comes in the name of Jesus but then tries to make Jesus instrumental to something else or who offers Jesus as the means to something else should not be listened to. Because Jesus is not an ally in our pursuit of something other than relationship with him. Communion with God and Jesus Christ is the point full stop of our very existences. Only Jesus is the source of life. Only Jesus is enough. One of my favorite prayers in the entire Christian tradition was penned by St. Teresa of Avila. Here's what she prays at the end of that prayer. 
Whoever lacks God, sorry, whoever has God lacks nothing. Only God is enough. So as soon as we start prizing something more than that relationship with God, we stop listening to Jesus' voice. This relationship with God must be the constant that relativizes every other commitment, or we've stopped being the sheep who hear his voice. And woe be upon that priest or that pastor who encourages the flock to stop listening to the good shepherd. Those who lead the little flock of Christ more than anyone else need to be led by the good shepherd. One of my favorite sermons by St. Augustine of Hippo, he says, I nourish you with what I myself am nourished on. As a pastor in Christ's church, I am never in greater peril than when I think that I myself am the good shepherd. When I have forgotten that I myself am a sheep who needs to be carried and nourished and defended and led by Jesus. There's a study by a Lutheran pastor named Mark Allen Powell called, What Do They Hear? In which he says that when the lady hear the gospels read and preached, they identify with the disciples or with the marginalized people that are mentioned in, that, in those stories. But when pastors read those same gospel stories, they often identify with Jesus. Why is that? Powell observes that when pastors preach stories from God's word, they stand as the mouthpiece of God. And so before long, they, become, they come to identify more with Jesus than with those who are in need of grace. That's extremely dangerous. Powerful pastors who identify with Jesus themselves come to take the place of Jesus. And so their approval comes to mean Jesus' approval. People start to think, if the pastor approves of me, then God must approve with me. And then vice versa. If the pastor disapproves of me, it must mean that Jesus doesn't approve of me. A pastor who has who's come to think of him or herself in this way has stopped entering by the gate and has come to enter by some other way. He's become a liar and a thief. And I need you to remind me, friends, and Jonathan Millard needs you to remind him, and all the priests of this church need you to remind them that even though we are tasked with the leadership of this church, we can only do this if we're followers first. If Christ is not our good shepherd, we have absolutely nothing to offer to this body. We are then liars and thieves who will do nothing but rend and destroy and steal life from this congregation. We are also the sheep who need tending. So how do all of us hear and recognize Christ's voice? How do we become and remain his sheep? Notice what he says here in verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. Now, most commentators on this passage agree that the gatekeeper here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates us about who we are and about who Christ is. The Holy Spirit is the one who impresses the truth claims that Christ makes about himself and the Word in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth, the one who is the advocate within us of the truth. And so it's through the Spirit's work that we hear Christ's voice when we come to follow him. But the Spirit does not simply zap us with Christ's life. The Spirit uses means. The Spirit uses our study and meditation upon the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Spirit uses the sacraments. The Holy Spirit uses the fellowship of believers to do this work. And we're, we're all no doubt very tired of, of hearing about how we can't do various things, how we can't gather to do the things that we would normally do together, like take the sacraments and be in fellowship together. We know what we can't do. 
What we would like to know is, what can we do? What we can do is to take this time to really immerse ourselves in the scriptures. And we can do this together as a community. <coughs> so this week, what I would like for you to do is to meditate on this image that John chapter 10 gives us of being a sheep. You can do this as a community group or on a Zoom call with friends or as a family if you live in a family. And get quiet and free yourself from distraction. You can pull up that image of the fresco I showed earlier about the, the, the good shepherd in the catacombs of Priscilla or one of the many icons of Christ as the good shepherd which have a similar artistic form. Look at that sheep draped over Christ's shoulders and imagine yourself in that position. What peril is Christ rescuing you from? How do you recognize his voice? Where is he taking you? What does it feel like to entrust yourself to him? Or you might also use this passage itself from John chapter 10 and read it slowly. See which phrases stand out to you most and repeat them slowly to yourself. Ask God why those passages seem more meaningful to you now than others. Memorize them. Now there's other ways too that we can meditate on this idea as well, but the, the central point is to set aside the time and to free yourself from distraction, especially from your phone, in order to do it. And if possible, do this communally because we're not islands. We need each other. We need together as a body to submit ourselves to the Good Shepherd. We all need to know, especially in COVID tide, that we are not on our own. That through the work of the Holy Spirit, we have access to Christ. We hear His voice and He comforts us. We're needy, we are vulnerable. So my friends, let Christ lead you. Let him protect you. Let him lead you to the heart of God the Father, where you will find life, abundant life, Zoe life. Amen.